Good morning, Faith Bridge, and happy Mother's Day. Um, for me, this is such an exciting day to honor the women who have just given so much to every one of us. I mean, without moms, we wouldn't be here. The way that they have nurtured, the way that they have cared, the way that they have loved. And I know for many, today's a hard day. Um, today is a day that um, just brings up a lot of emotion. For some, it's, it's a day that is filled with incredible amounts of joy and you are celebrated. Some of us, um, as single parents, um, we don't have the, the dad saying, write something on the card to say something nice to your mom. Um, we've been looking for those words of encouragement. And I just want you to know that as a pastor, I'm grateful for your role as a mom. The ways that you give of yourselves, the ways that you just pour into, the ways that you nurture, the ways that you strengthen and embolden your kids and grandkids is absolutely a gift from God. So thank you. And as I was preparing a message, I was reminded of a time that I went to this quirky little town called Santa Cruz. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's, it's about 40 minutes on the coast from San Francisco. And it's a real beach town. But what's amazing is if you drove a mile up from the beach, you would find yourself in a redwood forest. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a redwood forest, but it's unlike any other forest I've been in. Let me tell you why. Redwoods are the tallest trees, 375 feet tall. Redwoods, they're, they're some of the oldest trees on the planet, 1,500, 2,000 years old. And if you start to study redwoods, you will learn that their bark is disease resistant. I mean, there's no like bugs that can bite through their bark. These trees, they're fire resistant. Actually, in our fire extinguishers, we have taken some of the resin that's within a redwood. They extinguish and repel fire. So a forest fire can happen, but it's not gonna take out redwoods. They're actually even drought resistant. It's just the way that their, their roots are and they're flood resistant. And what's so amazing is that these redwoods, they will grow rapidly. And what they're doing is they're growing and they're literally trying to chase the light. And because of the position of where Santa Cruz is on the coast of California, there's all this fog that comes in. And scientists say that redwoods get 40% of their water from drinking the fog. And at the base of a redwood tree, they have found that every redwood has stores up 8,000 gallons of water. This is why they're drought resistant. They can just handle when there's no water because they have a great savings account of water. But here's the thing. The thing that really fascinates me about redwoods is that you would think a tree that's 375 feet tall, that the roots would go down 100, 200 feet, but they don't. They actually only go nine to 12 feet 
deep. But they go out a hundred feet to the, to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south, and they go out a hundred feet and they find other redwoods and literally their roots interlock and interconnect with one another. I don't know if you've heard about this, but in the UK recently, they hired a new position in the parliament. They call this person the Minister of Loneliness. Now, I don't know if I would want that on my LinkedIn title, just being honest. What's your title? What's your position? I'm the Minister of Loneliness. But here's the thing. In the UK, they found out that 60% of British people felt profoundly alone. And in the elderly population, they did a survey and study in 2018 and found that many people went six weeks without any human connection and contact. And this is all pre-COVID-19. And what this began to do in the psyche of people, the anxiety it caused, and then they began to recognize in the business world how when people suffer and struggle with loneliness and feeling like nobody's there with them, nobody's for them, that they found that billions upon billions of dollars each year were lost because of the effects of loneliness. And so the parliament hires this position, the minister of loneliness, to try and get to the root of this problem and to try and actually help bring people together. Back to the redwoods. What's so amazing to me about redwoods is scientists are discovering that because their roots are so interlocked and interconnected, they're discovering that when one tree isn't doing well, that it sends out a signal to the other trees and the other trees stop chasing the light to get taller and taller to drink more fog. What they do is they slow down and begin to send nutrients to the hurting, suffering redwood. And what scientists are discovering is that redwoods talk to one another. Now, people in the UK don't talk to one another, but redwoods do. And it got me thinking, and this is so important, because what we're finding is that there's this strength in being interconnected. They found back in the UK in the 1700s that when they planted redwoods by themselves, they fell down because the roots didn't go that deep. Nine, 12 feet. The wind, the storms would come and they would fall down. But when redwoods were built and had a family and were interconnected, they could withstand the toughest days, the toughest storms, the most unprecedented times because they had one another. Today, I want to teach you about the first church. I want to teach you about what was the profound, different characteristic of the first church. And it's one word. It's the word alelon. A-L-L-E-L-O-N, and it's the phrase that we get from Alelon that is one another, one another. And you'll see this throughout the New Testament as we talk about the church again and again and the characteristics of what the church is supposed to be in the world. You'll see this phrase that we are to one another. 
love one another, Jesus will say in John 13, 34. It's all of these powerful one another's, which led Andy Stanley, a great pastor, to once say, the primary purpose of the local church is one anothering, one another. And so what I want to do in honor of moms who I think model one anothering one another so brilliantly and so well, I just want to read through just a few of these profound one another's phrases, these alelon phrases, so that we, almost in this Project Redwood, so that we as like FaithBridge can be like interlocked, interconnected in unique days like today. Let's start in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. It says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. I love this because what it's saying is, man, our job is to encourage and to build others up. And what does it mean to encourage? To encourage means you see the image of God in another. And you are so relentless in calling the image of God out that you call it out. And sometimes the person that you're calling it out of doesn't see it in themselves. And when you call that out, you actually are giving that other person courage to be who God created them to be. This is what moms do so well. I mean, there's moments where I think for all of us where we've maybe had a hard day and, and somehow we just needed to feel mothered. A moment where a mom just saw something in us or a coach saw something in us or a pastor saw something in us or a mentor saw something in us that we, if we're really, really honest, didn't see in ourselves. And because they said it, we actually believed that might just be true. This is the power when we one another, one another. James 5.16, half-brother of Jesus says, our job is to pray for one another. To pray for one another. You study the life of Timothy and you recognize that Timothy is where he is at. This mentee that Paul writes about over and over. He writes two letters to him. He's where he is because he had a praying mom and a praying grandma. And I just think about that. For many of us, our faith was grounded, our faith was encouraged, our faith was built because of the moms and the grandmas and the great-grandmas and the aunts who wouldn't stop praying for us. Can I just ask you, who are you praying for right now? I want you, as I walk through these one another's, I want you to think, who did that for you? And I know the easy answer is probably going to be your mom. Your mom probably did a lot of this for you. But I also want you to think of somebody else who, who encouraged you or built you up or prayed for you. But I also want you to think, who are you doing that for? Because again, these redwoods, they are like interlocked, interconnected, intertwined, like giving life and nutrients to each other and someone's doing that for you? And the question is, who are you doing that for? Ephesians 4.32 commands us to be kind and compassionate to one another. And you know what kindness is? 
Kindness is when you restrain the judgment on how you believe someone should act or be based on your experiences and your story and your perspective. So when you're kind, you literally stop all of the momentum in your mind that says, this is how someone should act. And literally, instead of kind of putting that should on somebody else, you slow it down and you begin to walk with curiosity and understanding to why they are choosing the things that they are choosing. That's kindness. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and goes, no, I want you to be kind and compassionate to a Leilan, to one another. And compassion, do you know it's the plural form of the word womb? The idea of being compassionate is a made-up word that I love to use, but it's, it's literally when you're compassionate, you are wombish. You literally care for what God has birthed into this world. To be compassionate means you care for people. You care for creation. You care for those that are different from you. You care for what God has birthed into this world. And that's like what I learned so much from great moms. It's just how wombish they are how they care, how they nurture. And friends, this is like what one anothering is. Who is kind and compassionate to you when you didn't deserve it? And who are you being kind and compassionate to in this season of unprecedented days? I love what it says in Galatians 6-2. It says that we are to carry one another's burdens. To carry. I think for many of us, we are living our lives as if Christianity was a solo sport. We're holding it. We're holding our frustrations. We're holding our fears. We're holding all of like our struggles. We're holding all of the unknown, and we are just carrying this on our own. And I remember my wife, who's just an amazing mom. She came up to me one day and she, she just looked at me and she goes, yep, that's about right. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, your shoulders. Yep, that's, that's about it. And, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And she goes, Steve, why do you think that you can carry all of this on your own when your shoulders are only this big? And she, she was right. And I think that there's so many of us who love the idea of living life together and being interconnected together and being like in this together, except when we need someone to carry our burdens. Who has carried your burdens? Like who have you given permission to say, hey, this has been really, really hard at work. Or this has been really, really hard in our marriage. Or this has been really, really, really difficult with our finances. This is really, really difficult with our relationship, with our kids. This is a really, really difficult season. Who has carried your burdens and who have you made space to carry their burdens? I mean, can you imagine if Faith Bridge was known as a church that had mastered one anothering one another? I mean, what this would mean for all of Greater Houston 
people would recognize there's something different here. Or let's even take it farther. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. To confess your sins to one another. I mean, when's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you walked over to a coworker, called a family member, Zoomed a friend, FaceTimed your kids, and confessed a sin. I mean, David writes about this in Psalm 32. He says, if I stay silent about this, like my insides will like wither away. And I think for many of us, we just carry We carry the decisions and the choices that we've made that not just hurt us, but it's hurt others. And we just carry that. And I think confession is one of the most powerful gifts that God has given His people. There's something really, really powerful. We've taught our kids. I've got a 12-year-old son, Emerson, a six-year-old daughter named Mercy. And we've taught our kids that when they, they get into conflict or When they say something back to us, we've taught them three ways in which they can do confession well. The first is to say they're sorry. I'm sorry for fill in the blank. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for how I treated you. I'm sorry for not following through. The second question, are you okay? I'm sorry, are you okay? And then the third, Will you forgive me? And it literally is this amazing moment that I absolutely love watching my 12-year-old and 6-year-old negotiate confession and forgiveness. And I love watching the vulnerability it takes to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. And sometimes we get a little prideful, don't we? We don't, we don't want anybody to know that we, we mess up. We don't want anybody to know that like our kids aren't perfect. We don't want anybody to know that we're not perfect, but everybody knows. Everybody knows. And the lighter that we can live begins with confession. Because what you're doing is you're speaking it and you're giving it away and you're not letting it take residence in you. You're giving it away. And confession is powerful. And our job is to confess our sins with a leilon, with one another. I love Colossians 3.13, and I know many of you, um, you're Texans fans, you you love your Houston Texans, you love Deshaun Watson, and I get it. Maybe you're Cowboys fans, and you're excited about Andy Dalton as your new backup quarterback, but let me just tell you, let me just tell you, if you search the scriptures, and you're looking for a characteristic of what the church is supposed to be, and what NFL team you need to root for, let me tell you about Colossians 3.13 that says, bear with one another. Bear with one another. I mean, it's so obvious. Not Texans one another. Not Cowboys one another. It's bear with one another. It's biblical, friends. It's biblical. And here's what I want you to do, is when you bear with one another, you're letting people in. You're bearing the good, you're bearing the hard, you're bearing the the difficult. You are literally bearing with one another. Who has bared their soul with you? 
Who has been able to say, I know I can call them and I can bear some achievement, some new position, some amazing thing that just happened in my life. I know I can share that with you and that you will celebrate me. You will celebrate what God did. I mean, oftentimes we might have people that we call to confess or people that we call to ask for prayer, but do we have people that we can call to say, hey, can I just tell you? Can I just tell you what just happened? Can I tell you about this opportunity that God placed? I mean, having those people, kid you not, this is like what it means to be interconnected and interlocked with one another. You can read through the scriptures and we'll say to forgive one another. And Ephesians talks about this. Again, the power to forgive one another. And many of us, we're just holding on to stuff. The other night, I was putting my six-year-old to bed, and we were reading the, the epic novel, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, and she's like reading it. And, and if you remember how the book ends, and I don't want to give it away, but I'll tell you, th there's this moment where um, one of the, the letters, A, wants to like sneak out of the tree. And as it sneaks out of the tree, all of the letters fall. And so I asked my daughter, I said, hey, how do you think all the other letters felt about letter A after what he did caused everyone to fall? And my daughter looks at me and goes, dad, do you want to know what the most powerful word is? I'm like, sure, what's that? She says, the most powerful word is forgiveness. And I'm like, what? And I had no idea where this was going because we're just reading Chicka Chicka Boom Boom and now she's dropping like a, and taking me to church and, and I'm sitting there kind of like, yeah, that's a powerful word. And then she goes, you know why? Because when you forgive someone, you go from being a holder honor to a let it goer. And I, I was shocked. I never said those words to her. I don't even know where that had come up for. And then she waits a couple of seconds like a great pastor would do. And then she looks at me, points her finger at me and goes, Dad, are you a holder honor or are you a let it goer? And she took me to church. I mean, this is like a strong, fierce woman we are raising. And I was like, whoa. And I had to have this moment with her to say, Honestly, there are things that I struggle to let go. And she just said, well, you need to try. And I think that is the beauty, the beauty of what forgiveness is. As we, we go from being someone who's a holder honor to someone who's a let it goer. And maybe for some of you today, there's someone in your life that you're just holding on to something that they did or didn't do, the unmet expectations, the pain, the struggle. And let me just let you know one thing. Forgiveness is a solo sport. It's just you forgiving them. It doesn't mean that you're reconciling with them. It just means you beginning a process to say, I'm not going to give you that much power in my temple. And for me, there are times where a few people, I need to forgive an offense multiple times, multiple times. And then the next day, I, gotta, I, I get reminded of it and it triggers me and I got to forgive that person again because I want to be not a hold it on her, but a let it go her because my six-year-old took me to church. 
And this is the beauty. This is the power. And I remember walking down our stairs to our bedroom, telling my wife, and I was like, this is the power of one anothering. Even a six-year-old could take me to church. Even a six-year-old could speak life and truth. And friends, who's doing that for you? Who are you doing that for? Uh, the last one I'll look at, and there's so many one another's and each other's and uh, Alelon verses in the New Testament. The last one I want to look at comes from Philippians chapter 2. And it says that we are to value one another above ourselves. I mean, you can get to a number of verses that will say respect one another in Romans, honor one another. But this one is powerful. It's so beautiful in the way that it's written. It's, it's value each other. Value one another above yourself. And I think that's really, really hard. I think we struggle as a culture to lift people up, to soar higher, to flourish more than ourselves. We want people to win, but we just want to win a little bit more. We want people to achieve, but not if it comes at a cost to us. And can you imagine a church that was so interconnected and interlocked, their roots were just so powerfully tied together, that all of a sudden, when you looked at them, they were like, gosh, they literally like value one another above themselves. They value the whole. And they are constantly lifting each other up. You'll see in another scripture that it says, serve one another. To serve. That's like literally the invitation to put a towel on, a basin of water like Jesus modeled at the Last Supper and just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to serve one another. And I need you to know Faithbridge. You've heard it last week. You heard it a little bit this week. But ministry enrollment. And this is an amazing opportunity for every one of us to learn what it means to serve one another, to be in life with one another, to grow with one another. And if you have not enrolled, man, I hope you wouldn't miss this. Because the people that have gone and taken that step in faith, I mean, many of them got their finances in order, Many of them just had amazing moments to serve and value one another above themselves. I mean, they literally, you will have chances to embody what we're taught in the scriptures. Let me take you back to Santa Cruz. I'm walking through the Redwood Forest and I come across this arrangement of trees. I found myself in the center and it's as if all these redwoods have just kind of been built in a circle around me. And I'm looking up and the sun is just peeking through the leaves. And again, these trees are 350, 375 feet tall. And a redwood forest is the quiet, quietest of forests because the bark like absorbs the sound. And you can hear just the birds. You can hear like the waterfalls in Santa Cruz. It is so, so powerful and sacred. And as I'm walking there, I talk to this guide 
And I just simply ask, hey, how, do, how does it grow in a circle like this? And he says, it's, it's the most amazing thing. He said, one tree still interlocked and interconnected. Maybe the, the ground erodes and gives way, but it falls. And so this one tree has fallen and it looks like it's dead. And by the way that it falls, the seeds start to scatter, but it's still interconnected. Its roots are still getting life and nutrients from the other redwood family. And so what ends up happening is these redwoods begin to like send water, send nutrients, begin to kind of try to rescue this fallen tree. And from the bark, almost new life begins to grow up in it and through it and all around it. And as I'm having this conversation with this guide, you know what all I can think about is the gospel. Because let's think about this. On Good Friday, one tree looked like it was dead, but we know now that heaven was just getting started. And three days later, all of this resurrection power came and that tomb became empty. And as Jesus walks out, it was the resurrection that transformed that first church community. As Barbara Johnson says, we are Easter people. We are resurrection people living in a Good Friday world. Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And I just start kind of preaching back to this guide. And I just said, can you imagine this? This is how I see the church, like interconnected, interlocked, one anothering one another. And this is what we're doing is we are like orienting our life around this rabbi named Jesus. I mean, when you read the New Testament, this is why it says, in Christ. See, our decisions when we one another one another, it's because we are all in Christ. In Christ. And the guy looks at me and goes, that's fascinating. He goes, you know what scientists call this? And he points up and he like looks at the, the, like the, the, the beautiful circular ring of the tops of these redwoods. He goes, you know what they call this? I said, no. Scientists call this a cathedral. And friends, my mind was blown because I started to think about this going, it really is. It's like creation's cathedral. When you stand in it, you feel like you're standing in sacred and holy ground something that's bigger than you, something larger than you, something that has just can be so resistant to drought and all of the seasons and all of the times and it continues to grow and it doesn't do it alone. And in that moment with this guide, in that moment standing in the middle of creation's cathedral, I had a vision of what the church could be if we actually took the scripture seriously, if we actually committed to one anothering one another. And then I just had these pictures and these, these memories and there's these thoughts in my mind. Can, can you just imagine just for a second, if someone started to hear about Faith Ridge Church and they're like, oh, that place? Oh, that's the place where they value one another. That's the place where they bless one another. That's the place where they like pray for one another. That is like the place where they serve one another 
That is the place that they are honest and human. They bear with one another. They encourage one another. They are kind and compassionate to one another. That place is like a holy cathedral built around the resurrection of Christ. And friends, I think this is who you can be. I've seen glimpses of it. And I believe Pastor Ken, through the team, through the leaders, the elders, the people of Faith Bridge, you are at a ripe moment to embody what it means to be a holy cathedral, a kind of church that one another's one another. Faith Bridge, I believe in you. The women of Faith Bridge, I stand in just awe of your strength, your dedication to your kids, to your church, and to one anothering one another. Let's pray. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you entrusted us with your story. And we get to be these Easter people. And even though we live in a Good Friday world, we can still encourage one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, to love one another as Jesus taught us. And so God, I just pray. I pray that today, those that are listening, that they would go to their mom and they would say, hey, thank you for teaching me how to one another. You taught me by the ways that you encouraged me. He taught me by the ways that you loved me. He taught me what it means to one another, one another. I pray that there would be these holy, powerful moments between mothers and sons and mothers and daughters where they feel honored for who they are. And God, I pray that we would be the kind of people that thank you for the people that you have brought into our life who have modeled this. And God, I pray that we would be relentless in finding people within FaithBridge and outside the church where we can model this. Let us be a compelling force, a compelling redwood forest for good, for your glory. We love you, God. In 